Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have the great man, Jamie Getgood, on the show. So Jamie is the founder and CEO of Get Good Consulting and the an ambassador of The People Shift. Jamie specializes in senior HR leadership, employee redundancy and workforce transition, organization restructure and rebuilding company culture. In 2017, he bagged the Australian of the Year Award as well as multiple accolades and nominations from leadership bodies after contributing to the workforce transition in GM Holden. Following Holden's closure, Jamie became an international speaker, specialising in industrial relations, leadership and employee engagement. In this episode, Jamie shares his career journey to the GM Holden and ultimately the closure of Holden. We shared key messages such as the value of building relationships with employees, people-focused leadership, and radical changes to the organization's culture. Jamie believes that we drastically impact our employees' lives as leaders with the decisions we make, so now is the time to be more human, more compassionate, and more empathetic. I know you'll love this episode as much as I did and if you like the episode, be sure to hit subscribe and check us out at synergyiq.com.au. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host and today we have... The great man, Jamie Getgood. <laughs> great man. <laughs> okay. Otherwise known as the Velvet Sledgehammer. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Can we start off with that? The Velvet Sledgehammer the Velvet or the Smiling Assassin. Yeah, the Smiling uh, Assassin. Um, yeah, you've done your homework and dug up some of these names I didn't want out, but that's fine. Um, look, the Velvet Sledgehammer was actually a nickname that one of my HR guys gave me at Holden. So it's not necessarily a term that the whole world used, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. Now it's, um, now it's out there. So. Yeah, it's out there. Thank you. Um, and part of the reason he gave me that was we were involved in a, a few difficult situations. And my background, I was involved in the closure of Holden. In fact, I led the, the closure program for manufacturing in Australia. And we had some very difficult conversations. We had mm -hmm. you know, obviously some redundancy conversations that had to be had. We had some industrial relations matters. And there was a, a couple of examples where I was with this particular HR person and he said to me after he goes, I'm going to call you the Velvet Sledgehammer because <laughs> you have this way to smack them hard and kick them out and do all this stuff. But it was so gentle and kind and you you really took care of his feelings and so forth. So I'm impressed. <laughs> so a, every HR meeting from there, he started calling me Velvet Sledgehammer. There you go. So it's a, it is a skill set. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Putting yourself in the other person's shoes whilst delivering yeah. some tough messages. Absolutely. I think it's all, it, it's not, I don't want to call it an art form. I think it's just taking that human approach to things and realizing that they have a family, they have kids, they have a life outside of work. And if we can't, I think the, the, the least thing we can do is treat people with dignity and respect. Mm. So no matter the outcome, they feel like that they were heard, they were valued. Um, and I've done some tricky stuff. Mm. You can still do it well. 
Yeah, it's it's communication is key, isn't it? Right? Absolutely. If you are very clear with your message, and it comes from a point of view of look, this is what's best for the business. This is what's this is what's happening. It's, yeah. it's kind of out of our control. We understand the difficult position that it leaves you. Yeah. You know, you, you're always going to get some kickback, but it's better than not providing any communication whatsoever, isn't it? Because that's when the the complaints rise and. Yeah, and there's some horror stories out there of companies who have done redundancies by text message and <laughs> um, really, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's happens out there a lot, um, and I'm in this world a lot now. So, and and companies that will give very little com- communication or notice, they basically just say, "Look, you're finishing up, you're redundant. Here's your stuff. See you later." So, communication for me is key. I always take the view that if my son or daughter was to come home and say, hey, Dad, I've been made redundant, that they were given every opportunity to be cared for. And I, I think I, I try and take a personal view on, well, how would I feel or how would my kids feel? Mm. I think with that mindset, you, you approach it differently. You you do, absolutely. The Getting to your career and how you got to the <laughs> Holden's role, let's, let's cast our minds back a little. Yep. Where did you start? How did you get into this world? <laughs> get into this world? That's a that's a deeper question. Well, than this, but, <laughs> that's, <laughs> Sorry. One, that's a question I should ask your old man and your mum. But no, how did you uh, how did you get into the world of HR and uh, yeah yeah? I, believe it or not, I didn't actually start in HR. I, growing up through school, wanted to be an engineer. Well, well, uh, don't hold that against me. No, um, no I know some very 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 intelligent engineers. Yeah, good, good people. Yeah, look, and that was my path. So I applied for apprenticeships, got myself a fitter and turner apprenticeship. And uh, interesting enough, and, you know, the back end, I didn't actually get the Holden apprenticeship, which I applied for. (laughs) So I wasn't good enough for Holden back in those days. But uh, I ended up getting an apprenticeship with what was known as email appliances back then, or some Mm -hmm. people would know as Simpson, some people would know as Electrolux. And... Started my world as a mechanical tradesperson and worked in maintenance and won some awards. And through the awards that I won, like Apprentice of the Year sort of things and uh, gold, I got a, got a gold medal for the World Skills competition, oh, which is you? like a trades Olympics. There you go. And email at the time said, hey, we, we think you'd be a great person to take over our apprentice training centre. So that was sort of a great opportunity when I finished my trade to do something related yeah but it got me involved in the training world and um, it got me involved in leading you know small teams and training apprentices and it was a really good exposure a little i guess a small exposure to what the hr world looked like mm. and electrolux came in and bought out the business and they decided that they didn't want an apprentice training center anymore so the director of hr approached me and said hey jamie look your role is going to be made redundant. I know you want to be an engineer. Do you really want to be one? So he challenged me a bit and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm really keen. And he goes, well, I've got a different idea. I reckon you've got the perfect attitude, behaviour and personality to be a HR person. And I laughed at him. And he goes, no, no, I'm serious. I'm willing to help support you with your degree. I'm willing to give you one-on-one mentoring. Like you will be by my side for the first 12 months. Um, we really think you'd be a great HR person. So that's how my HR career started. I thought long and hard about it and thought, you know what, I really enjoyed this training opportunity Mm. and this ability to deal and mix with people. And 
I got an amazing opportunity to work with this guy who I think at the time was, for me, one of the greatest HR guys in the state. So, yeah, wow. What was his name? His name was Jerry Quirk. He was a very unique HR person. Still floating around? or He's retired, retired. now. He's retired. Um, what I loved about Jerry was he was very knowledgeable in the HR space, but his core attribute was all about people and relationship. And, and whilst he could be tough, don't get me wrong, um, he taught me everything about having posture in the right times and, mm. you know, how do you hold yourself? How do you speak? Uh, when do you, you know, put on that game face and, 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 and show that you're, you've got to be tough but at the same time be very relational? And his background, he was an ex-priest. Okay, there you go. And that brought in all these elements that I look back in my career going, I can see that in him mm. and and I also have a faith and that sort of has sparked me and going, okay, well, maybe I need to portray who I am in that side of things as well in my workplace. And I, I feel like that's been a big part of the reason I am who I am. Isn't it amazing how one person can completely transform your life? Absolutely. And, and, and Jerry, you know... <laughs> interesting I, I i almost quit on my first day oh really um because jerry was this amazing kind-hearted guy but we went into a, an extremely difficult ir matter with a six foot six guy mm. huge guy and and jerry went in very hard which i wasn't expecting and this guy i thought was gonna it's not as one <laughs> so i'm sitting there going <laughs> if this is what hr's like i don't know if i'm cut out for this yeah but well, what, what 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 was it? Was it the sort of the confrontational element that you didn't like, or yeah? So this particular example, this guy was uh, about to be terminated for aggression, okay. abuse, sexual harassment, okay. and he looked like he was going to rip our heads off. Yeah. Okay. So it was that like it wasn't so much the issue of conflict. I actually am okay day to day with conflict, but this particular gentleman on day one of HR. Was scary. Mm. <laughs> I'm a, you know, well, what was I? Probably 21 or 22 yeah. at the time, and it's, confronted with that. It's amazing. Going back to Jerry and you know the the effect that he's had on you, and almost sort of pointed you in a different direction. The the ongoing effect that he's having, mm. right? Just that one decision, or the the, the decision to s see that uh, expertise or quality in you, I should say, yeah, has now affected so many other lives as uh, well yeah and and for the better yes you are you know the velvet sledgehammer <laughs> but but yes uh, but it could have been worse for those people right you have the ability to uh, to deliver some messages in a in a way that is much more humane yeah it, it's interesting one of the things he taught me early on and and, and i can't just i don't want to give all the credit to jerry although i do yeah, give no, him all the credit i've had other mentors with the same approach which and I think mentoring is really important and we can touch on that if you like. Yeah, but, let's do it. Um, a lot of these mentors have really said, we have an opportunity to change someone's life with every decision that we make. Mm -hmm. And and that's sort of been a chorus to who I think I am, that every single decision, how am I impacting you? How am I, how am I going to impact not only your thought pattern right now, but how you re respond to your kids later tonight because of the, the news that you've just heard. So I really have taken that through my career going every moment is an opportunity to bless, support, encourage someone, even in difficult times, or a moment to absolutely smash them 
to the ground and potentially send them down a tra- trajectory that we don't want them to go down. Yeah, agreed. So mentoring for me has been part of that, having the right people in my camp, and it's not always work-related mentors, having the right people in my camp who can guide me, who can confront me at the right moments going, Jamie, I actually think you're heading down the wrong path and I've got a couple of people that do that right with me right now mm. uh, in my personal life even. And having people that you trust, who you can talk to, who can point you down certain paths and sometimes just be an ear. Yeah. So mentoring is so important. And so that's the, the, the lasting impact Jerry's had on me. I, 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 the, going into the, uh, the mentoring thing, the I had someone come up to me probably a couple of weeks ago and they said, hey, Dan, do you remember this? You said this to me a couple of years ago. And um, it really sort of transformed my life. I went down a different path. I actually started reading some more books and stopped watching Netflix so much and all, all, all awesome. that sort of stuff. And he goes, like it was a pivotal point in my life, this conversation. I remember exactly where we were and, and I, I don't have any recollection <laughs> at all. Of it. So what that um, kind of points out to, to me is that you really need to be, if you are in the – have the luxury of yeah. potentially providing some mentoring to someone else. Yeah. You really need to be careful with the words that you use yeah. on a daily basis. Absolutely. Be, be in check, hold your ego in check and because you're potentially steering people's lives in other directions. Yeah, a- absolutely. I think we, we have to be accountable for everything that we do. And um, I mean, I, I currently am now a mentor for a few other people and, mm-hmm. and there's some senior HR people that, I'm not necessarily trying to direct their life, but I'm an ear for them and I'm I'm someone they can vent to and I can speak words of wisdom into them rather than uh, words that are going to discourage them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's important. Every word is important to to that individual. And and I've got one in particular who's gone through a, quite a difficult time emotionally, and I don't have to tell them about you know the 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 finite detail behind how to do a HR strategy. You know, I'm actually going, how are you, mm. right? What support can I do? Do you want to talk about that? Mm. And, and and in some cases, in this particular case, she, she's been just glowing because I just, I needed that venting point and I can't do it with my partner and that can be difficult with partners sometimes. Absolutely. And I can't do it with my CEO and I can't do it with my HR team because I hold, I hold a certain position. So for her, it's been valuable. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's the level of empathy that you can show. Yeah, absolutely. Put the listening ears on. And- absolutely. And that's for me, I'm a, a big advocate of people-focused leadership and um, I think we need to have that lens in everything that we do. Don't get me wrong, there are some people that take people-focused leadership to the nth degree and they don't discipline and they don't performance manage and they can go too far in that space. Yeah. You still need return investment. You still need results still doing it with a humane manner. Can you dive into people focus? Because what is leadership without people? Yeah, it's funny you say that. You're right. It's mm. not leadership. <laughs> but, I mean, I've had the luxury with my current role to, to go to a lot of organisations and I see people or leaders, sorry, who are all about the end result and whilst they know they've got people that will get them there, mm. 
they don't empower them. They don't bring them on the journey. They don't get them aligned with the values or the direction of the business or they just have set deadlines without empathy or care. So micromanage. Micromanage, absolutely. So there is a difference between leading to an outcome and leading people to an outcome. Yeah. And I think that's what people focus leadership really is. It's you still got to get the outcomes, otherwise we don't have a business to support anyone. But how do you bring people on that journey? And I look, there's so many different models and techniques, but the one that always sticks with me is a, a book by Dan Pink called Drive. Love it. Right? Mm-hmm. And he talks about um, mastery. He talks about purpose and autonomy. And look, you can pull out a, a hundred other words, but if we just focus on those three, how do you help people get their mastery and grow so they feel like that they are developing as a person? How do we give them purpose? How do you, how do you show them the purpose of the, the organisation and the values and the direction, but also how their role impacts the organisation? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we're really good at talking about values but not how an individual makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then autonomy, you know. Don't micromanage. Give them some scope. Give them some power. Empower them. Engage them. Yeah, I, the micromanagement one is always one that sort of throws me. Oh, I'm, I'm too lazy to be <laughs> micromanaged. <laughs> I'm I with you. I couldn't think of anything worse than having to do my own job as well as checking in on someone else's. It just seems so counterproductive. Yeah. I really like your values comment though. It, when working with people, we, we tend to help them understand look, this is the values of the business, right? This is where the business needs to go and this is what we can hold our people internally in this business account to. Mm. But what are your own personal values? They don't necessarily need to be the exact same. No. You know, so it's about working towards the vision and the value of the business. Where do we want to go? Where does this business want to go? Within your own yeah. set of values, right, as well. And as long as they're obviously of, <laughs> of higher integrity and all the above. But that that's it's a it's it's an area where I don't actually know or believe that too many people focus on you know, there's all, like the word values get thrown around yeah. left, right and center. But do people actually know what they mean? Yeah. I would say often they don't. Yeah. And I think it goes even further than that. Um, when I've been in organisations, and, and to be honest, when I first started Holden, there were a few leaders that were like this, where they would go, oh, we've got this employee, he's really bad, you know, he's a troublemaker. Mm. And I'd often go, do you truly believe that he wakes up in the morning, turns his alarm clock off and goes, I'm going to be a prat today? Yeah. I don't believe that. Mm. I believe people get out of bed going, I want to give my best. I want to do my best. The reason they don't is because maybe they've been burnt by a supervisor or by an environment or an outcome. Built up poor habits. Absolutely. Or it could be as simple as they don't see that their role is important in the organisation. So I'm just here putting a part in a car. Yeah. No, you're not. You're potentially saving someone's life today because that part is crucial. Yeah. So bringing people on that journey, helping them understand their role in the organisation yeah. and the business, huge. And the greater good for the community. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had a mentor of mine tell me or say it to me once and it was one of those, it was almost like those life changing light bulb moments where he said, Dan, do you believe that everyone's doing their best with what they've got? 
And if they are, then how can you judge them or be angry at them or be frustrated with them uh, if you know mm. that they're giving it their best with what they've got, right? And the, with what they've got is the most important part of that, I believe, it's because true. there are some people that are just at different levels. They have different levels of thinking. They're not in the right mindset. They've got other stuff going on at the particular time, which is holding them back from, from a certain way of thinking or a different perspective. Yeah. So it... And what that I think that comment allowed me to do was almost put the coach's hat on. Yeah. Right. He's like, oh, how can I help this person then yep. if they're thinking in this way? Uh, so I think it's a really important point you make. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, for me, people are not going to give 100% if they don't feel like their 100% actually does anything for them or the business. Agreed. So how do we get them on that journey? Yeah. You know, if if it's your environment, if it's the people around you, if it's your leadership that, you know, you go every day to work going, oh, I've got to face that again, you know, straight away you see the shoulders shrug. Mm. They're not giving 100%. They're probably giving 70% because they're not happy with something in their environment. Yeah. What's the Gallup poll? Is like 85% of people leave because of poor leadership yeah. or lack of understanding. Absolutely. Them. So that's where... You know, and there's a lot of buzzwords out there and, and some of them I agree with and some I don't, but, you know, that's why psychological safety is important, right? That's why being vulnerable, having humility, these human traits is really what gets people from that 70% effort to 100% mm. because all of a sudden I'm valued. Uh, I can be vulnerable with my boss because he's built psychological safety. So these are the factors that make a difference. But, again, we just think let's set some measures and goals and targets and let them go. Mm. Or let's micromanage them. It's funny you say that because you can hold a workshop with, a, you know, you'd say you got 20, 30 people in the room, you go, what makes a good leader? Yeah. Like, give me the words, give yeah. me those words. And a lot of them will say vulnerability, compassion, empathy, all these words come up. They're all behavioural words. Not one of them will say he's really great at engineering yeah. or she's really great at, uh, I don't know, picking a lock. Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't ever work that way. It, um, it's always about... Absolutely. The character traits. But think people. about it. What do we train our leaders? We don't train them in vulnerability and humility mm. and all those human traits. It's actually something that we now do as a business, but it's one of the success secret sources that we put into the Holden model. Mm. We started training our leaders in this space. And that's why Holden became such a success. The culture was incredible. Mm. Um, but you go to a leadership school, they teach you about performance management and strategy and things mm. like that and forget the whole human element. Yeah. Yeah. But 50% of your your actual job is behaviour. It's probably 70. If, but. Yeah, <laughs> if not more, you're right. So going back to your time, your first HR gig. Yes. You grew from from that position. Yes. So I, I stayed at Electrolux in the HR role for about five years. Uh, had some really incredible experiences, um, good and bad. I think I did something like six or seven EBAs in that time. Um, got involved in a landmark IR decision, uh, closed a couple of facilities. So I'm sorry that that started early in my career. Yeah. But had some incredible experiences under this same mentor and I think – if I had just a day-to-day -day HR role where I was not doing a lot of these unique situations without the mentoring as well, I wouldn't be the HR person I am today. Mm. So I got confronted with some tough stuff early on in my career. 
Um, and to be honest, on the redundancy side, which I do a lot of in transition, transitional redundancy these days, there was a couple of moments that shaped my whole career and how I viewed redundancy. Um, Can you go into that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So um, one, there was one particular plant we were closing and we had to make people redundant and I called this particular lady in the office. Um, to be honest, our support wasn't very good. We, you know, we had, I'll call it, a makeshift outplacement model, um, which wasn't really supporting them well. And she came in, I made her redundant. I followed the script that I had, which was not very people focused. Mm. And she just literally dropped to her knees and almost laid on the carpet in front of me bawling. <laughs> uh, and it's something that sort of stuck with me and it's been in my heart ever since that, you know, she was a middle-aged woman, single parent, two or three kids at home uh, because of her service and the circumstances, she wasn't really getting much of a redundancy at all. Um, and that hit me going, I'm actually completely potentially sending this woman into a really bad trajectory. Mm. And what have I done about it? And what have we done about it as a company? And um, it, it really shook me. Mm. To emotionally as well, and it's it's again. I'm talking <laughs> scary to say this. Almost 20 years ago, mm. and it still impacts me. That vision of her crying on the floor, and it made me through my career. I've had to do lots of redundancies and programs and closures and mergers and acquisitions and so forth. And every time I go through this process, that memory pops in my head. I'm going, we got to do this differently, and that's how we approached the holding model when we closed. We we said. Let's not do your standard approach. Let's do some things different. Let's give people every opportunity to have a voice but also have the support they need. So it, it truly shaped my career that first six years. It's, uh, my mind's going in often in a, in a direction <laughs> that because you're right and it's probably not one that many HRIR people think about Um you know, with with the rise of domestic violence, I don't know. Like the, it's especially yeah since this pandemic's been going on, uh, the 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 um, the list of of people has gone through the roof. It's risen up, risen by two thousand people, something in Australia over the pandemic. It's something crazy like that. Don't quote me on that statistic, but it's something seriously crazy. The if not done with a velvet glove, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can send someone home in a fit of rage. Yeah. You know, it can, even if done correctly, can still do that. I understand that. Of course. But, but done with that, you know, with that velvet glove, it definitely, uh, it definitely can change the outlook of what the family might receive when that person gets home. Absolutely. And it's funny, again, when I'm looking at a transition program and uh, redundancy program, we're often now talking about the family unit, not just the employee, mm. because it, it's not a it's not an employee decision; it's a family decision. Yeah, and, and I don't care what anyone says, that positive or negatively is going to go home and impact the kids and the, the you know the the partner and whoever else is involved. Well, no doubt. So. Why wouldn't we support the family, you know? Yeah. And that could mean counselling for the partner. That could mm. mean counselling for the kids. Yeah, so there's a greater duty of care here, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. And it's, you know what? Yes, it's not legally required, but I guarantee you 
that is going to send a positive shockwave through your business. Um, we often forget about the people left in the organization when we do redundancy. They are watching and going, I saw how you treated Joe Bloggs when he left. Yeah. I must just be a number. Mm. Whereas if you take this additional approach, they actually, and we saw this at Holden, we, we, they actually responded and our performance went up mm. after redundancy program. Because a lot of these people are their friends, right? Absolutely. We're all mates here. We're all working together. You've just taken one of my good friends yep. and smacked them over the head. But then there's this thing called survivor guilt where they are now feel, feeling guilty because Joe Bloggs has gone through this yeah. and maybe that should have been me. Yeah, what, why did they deserve that? So, again, taking a different approach not only protects the individuals, it also protects your brand. Guess what? We had people leaving Holden going, Holden are incredible. I can't believe how they took care of me through this process. And it's an, Holden was closing, right? Yep. And it's some would say you didn't really need to take that approach because it was closing down if you're worried about the brand. We didn't have to, but um, interesting, in our last four years, we gave four years notice. In our last four years, our sales and uh, brand metrics improved. <laughs> um, we had people coming into dealerships saying, um, wow, we've heard about what you've been doing with your workforce. So I, I truly believe it had a positive impact on our business. Um, and yes, we could have done what a lot of companies do and just close the doors. Um, and, and I'm talking mainly on the manufacturing side, but, you know, the shockwave that this has had in this state in particular, I mean, I've, I'm working on a project now and I've got ex-Holden workers who stood up in front of the rest of the people in this program and said, hey, I went through the Holden story and this is what we're bringing into this program now. They didn't have to say a word. Hmm. They're positive advocates. Um, yeah, that's brilliant. So the, the legacy is still continuing. I just I, I literally experienced it this week. How long were you employed at Holden's before the decision was made to close? About three years. So we had we went on a journey prior to announcing closure of trying to improve our leadership and our culture. Mm -hmm. And um, so my first year, three years was all about culture, and we turned it. We were a bottom court. We were performing in a bottom quartile level. Um, and within a space of two or three years, we turned it to be a top quartile business. So we didn't close based on performance. Mm. It was all economic. Manufacturing. Yeah, manufacturing Aspe cars yeah, in Australia is very difficult. Expensive yeah. from the labour point of view. Yeah. It, no, it's not just labour. It was high Australian dollar. It was a tariff system. Yeah, it was yeah. logistics. We're in the corner of the world in Australia. So mm. just building a car here versus Asia costs thousands of dollars per car. Yeah, well, just because of parts logistics. Yeah, getting yeah, getting everything over here as well. So there's a whole heap of factors. So it wasn't our people. It wasn't necessarily labour costs or unions, which unfortunately people like to say it was purely economic. And what was your role at that time? So I was director of HR. So CEO comes to you and says, "Jamie, well, you would it was very pub public. Yes, it was very public, right? But <laughs> Jamie." We're closing the doors. I need you to sort this out. Yep. What went through your head at that point? Look, there was lots of things that went through my head. Some of it positive, not so. Some not so positive. I think for me, because we had just been on this leadership journey and this culture journey. If I if we had had this decision five years earlier, um, I think the general leadership approach would have been 
let's just give three months notice, let's close the doors. And that's what a lot of companies do. Mm. I didn't even have to comment. Our leadership team, without me even saying a word, were going, we have to do the right thing by our people. Let's give them as much notice as we can. Let's be transparent. Let's tell them every step along the way. Let's tell them we're going to set up a transition program. So I'm really proud that I had an impact on their approach to people and they're the ones coming to me saying, let's do the right thing. What did you do to get them to that point? Was it just you or was it no, obviously look, I, their, I can't take I'm, all the credit. It's it was, obviously their willingness to be involved and, and learn themselves, yeah. right? But what, what, from a cultural program point of view, what did, you, what did you work on? Yeah, so there was. I think it was a combination of I had an executive director of manufacturing who had come on the journey and got this people vision as well. Um, he wasn't always there. <laughs> so, but through this journey, he agreed that we needed to change. He supported from a, I guess, a clout point of view, uh, yep. the leaders and getting them on side. I had a mentor, another mentor again, Ashley Winnett. Uh, he was my direct uh, manager. Uh, he looked after Australia, New Zealand. Oh, wow. And he was incredible. So I had his support. But our focus, just to pull it back, was, as I said before, how do we how do we focus on the human element of leadership? Because we were an engineering automotive business. We're all about metrics. Yeah. We're all about numbers of cars going out the door. We're all about um, return on investment and hitting every possible metric we could. So quality, cost, they were the number one drivers. Yeah. We flipped that on the head back in about 2011 going, no, 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 our metric is now going to be about engagement. Our metric is going to be about how do we – bring people on this journey and retrain them on the values of our direction and and why we do things. So yeah. that that meant we had to train our leaders in how to do this. Mm. So we trained them in, to be honest, I, I call it being human 101. <laughs> we trained them in the human elements of leadership, which is the power of a handshake and why you should smile and, mm. you know. Saying hello in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, we, we actually, one of the things I suggested in the very first couple of stages was I want every leader to have 30 minutes in their diary that's blocked out every day and that is purely to walk the floor get to know your people I don't I don't want you talking about work I want you to know their dogs names their wife's names their kids names with a footy team they support their mm. favorite food just talk what was the what was the feedback from that uh, initially because <laughs> this was early in the stage um, some of our leaders were hesitant and were a little resistant and I think especially they th- those who with outcomes as a focus, absolutely. Mm. And they were going, I don't have time for this, and I, you know, you don't know what how much effort that's going to take. <laughs> and so this is the sort of stuff I, we were getting in the early stages, three, four, five months down the track, because it was a mandatory thing. <laughs> we didn't actually make mm. it a choice. Um, I had a couple of key leaders, um, executives, come to me saying, "You know what? This stuff works." Mm. I was working through the plant today and, you know, Joe Boggs from this line said this and he's telling me about what happened with his partner and he's coming to work every day now um, and every time I see him he's he's telling me about this improvement issue that we didn't know how to fix. He's Now now we fixed it because I can talk to him. Mm. This stuff works. Amazing what trust does. Yeah. It, so <laughs> we saw a difference and, and I think it was really good to see the leaders buy into this mm. and go, Wow, just by taking this people-focused approach, not only am I having great relationships and a good conversation when I'm out there, 
my people are responding and our mm. metrics went up. Mm. Absenteeism dropped. Our safety metrics dropped. Our quality went up. Is, do you have is so have you got good data around that? Yeah, it's an I do. interesting one. I do. It's one that we as a company always uh, find the it's the intangible stuff. That, so you would if you've got some metrics, it'd be good. To, I do. Uh, I, I've got absolutely. In fact, I share it a lot when I will go around and, and do my uh, speaking events. But um, so what are some of those metrics? If, so if, to give you an example, right? Like one off the top of my head, our absenteeism back in two thousand and nine was about nine percent absenteeism. Mm-hmm. Um, by, by in our final year, full year of manufacturing, I think we we're at three point five percent. Yeah, wow. Um, we had uh, quality. We went from a bottom quartile business quality to the number one car plant in the world. Hmm. Right. We won for five years in a row. Most significantly improved plant from a cost point of view. Yeah, wow. Right. So, and you're suggesting that this is one hundred percent because of the people focused attitude that you guys had. Or is there other I, I parameters? I think I, I would say 80% of that is yeah. the people. I, I don't think – and this is what I was trying to say at the start. You still need a balanced approach to people-focused Yeah, leadership. that's right. It's all part of one big ecosystem, isn't it, yeah. the way you manage it? Absolutely. Now, so we retrained people and gave them empowerment so they could lead their own little business, their mm-hmm. own little units. Um, so there were elements of making sure the systems and structures worked well. Mm. With a people lens, so it still had a people focused approach to everything we did, but it had a different lens. How did you manage the rollout? Was it top down or was yeah? It, was it, look, it was top down. We started with our exec team mm. and said, "This is how we want to lead. This is how we want to be remembered. This is our legacy." Mm-hmm. Um, and we did do some mandatory things, you know, like the thirty minutes in yeah, everyone's sometimes calendar. Sometimes you got to push the button. We we learned how to build cars. Um, <laughs> so I. We had given ourselves a, a part of the line that we would all learn. Yeah, wow. And, you know, I learned how to do plastic bumper bars on cars and I was terrible at it. Um, <laughs> so there's probably a few cars but you don't want to buy. you put yourself in the situation where you can speak the same language and you can understand that you walk in the same shoes. It was priceless. The yeah. shop floor guys were going, what are you doing out here, mm. right? And then once you get through a bit of the banter and everything yeah. else, you start seeing from their eyes why have you put up with this problem for so long? Oh, we raise it, but nothing gets done. Right. So we bring the team yeah. leaders involved and supervisors. We bring them on the journey. We learn so much. You no longer become a suit. You become someone that they can trust. And Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we did other things. We had you know, a, a program called Diagonal Slice, which was all about talking to people from a cross-sectional group every single day. We told them everything they wanted to know about the business. We no no more secrets. We told them everything, and it scared the life out of our PR team. Yeah, it would. But to be honest, it's all part of trust. If you can be transparent with your people, and, and we made some clear, you know, decision points where we were going, "Hey guys, we're going to trust you, be you know, with some information, but we need to be able to trust you back. Don't go and share some stuff with the media." No one did. Mm. It, so that transparency because they poured in. Correct. So it was this transparency piece that made a difference with that particular thing. So there's a dozen things we did to try and change our leadership. How do you, going like back into sort of the redundancy stuff and then when you were closing Holden's down, you would have had a few tough conversations. (laughs) How do you handle yourself mentally through those times? Yeah, look... uh, it's funny because I, I didn't actually talk about it a lot with anyone 
when I was going through it. Um, I think I felt a weight on my shoulders at times and there were moments where I probably wasn't coping so well but I just rocked up to work every day and just, you know, made it look like I was in control and I've got this and I'm okay and I don't need help and not that, that I actually was a bravado about it, I just didn't tell anyone. Mm. Um, so I probably didn't take care of myself as much as I should have. Mm. What I think happened though, because I had brought my team on the journey and we were talking about them and how we were going to support them, there's a few people in my team that would often be, uh, I guess, my I guess my support and I don't think they even realised that at the time. But they were, you know, often asking me, how are you, Jamie? What, what's going on? You, you were working a lot. And I look back now, they actually brought me through this journey uh, more than they probably realise. So um, and I look back whilst... I was trying to be brave in it. There were a couple of, again, mentors that I had that I remember talking to whilst I didn't share all the things I was going through. Again, I, I had, you know, I told you before I've got a faith and I, I had a pastor that I would talk to on a regular basis. And um, again, I don't think he realised the impact he had on me at that point in time, but it was someone I could just, you know, talk to and probably let go of a little bit even though I held more in up my sleeve. So... Yeah, self-care is important and I've learned on my own personal journey that we actually need to do more in this space. Absolutely. I think it's one of those, it's a tough area, right? You're, especially if you're an empath or you're one of those people who take on others' issues and mm -hmm. problems. I, I am one of those people. Mm -hmm. That's why it's an interesting question for me because if I'm telling people I am thinking about their home life, I am thinking about their school uh, the children's schooling and what that looks like from their, from an education point of view yep. and what this means for their ability to put food on the table, like uh, how to pay the mortgage, all the above. How did you manage all those emotions with so many people? Is it something that the more and more you do it, the, you know, like yeah. uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. A friend of one, my, one of my best mates is a neurosurgeon, right? Yep. And um, unfortunately has seen a lot of death in his life because yep. of some severe injuries. Uh, he is now at a point where there's almost a glaze over what yeah. death, the, the difference between That's life true. and death, right? So you build, a, you build this sort of muscle to be able to cape, cope with it. Is that what you... I think there's an element of that. I think you're around it a lot, so you do just build that strength. Um, but I think at the same time, it doesn't take away the feelings that you have. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I still, I think, I think I'm conscious of it now where I probably wasn't back then. And so I'm actually more of an advocate of being open and, and self care. And because I actually have seen the flow on effect of me not doing that. And, yeah. you know, I probably, not probably, I wasn't there enough for my kids through that point in time. And, um, you know, and, and I went through some personal circumstances as a result of all of that and the flow-on effect is great. So I think I'm now going, okay, um, yes, in the workplace I've learnt muscle, but then when I stepped out of that door, that's probably where I needed the support that I wasn't giving myself. Mm. Um, so do you think that could you say that, your circumstances at Holden's affected your personal life? 
I think it did. I think it did. And, you know, I don't want to be too critical because I there were things I could have personally done without doubt, regardless yeah. of Holden and the circumstance that would have alleviated that. Mm. So, you know, one thing I've learned is, you know, self-care is one thing but self-leadership is another and mm. we have to take – Self-reflection. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to be able to look within ourselves and go – okay, am I actually looking after myself? Am I doing the right things for me and my family? Um, and I think in doing that self-reflection, I also, as a leader, am looking differently to my own people going, are they doing that for themselves? And and how can I support them in doing that for themselves? So I think I'm now a better leader, unfortunately, because of the difficult thing situation I've been through. Yeah, you um, built you built some calluses over time. And Absolutely. And and it's funny because people have said, well, would you would you go through all that again knowing some of the, you know, those those that know some of my personal circumstances? And I said, I absolutely would because I am the man I am today because of the scars and the calluses and, mm. and those circumstances. And whilst there's things I would love to change and get back, um, it's it's the difficult times that make you grow sometimes more than the good times. Mm. We don't have time for regret, really. We no. <laughs> Why? And you know, move on. You know, I'm very much an optimist. I, mm. I always believe, you know, there is a positive uh, direction in life, and everything will work out for the better. Um, but yeah, don't view the negative things as something that's going to hold you down. See it as a growth opportunity, and and jump on it grow from it move on and smile the next day yeah well it's an it is an interesting point and, and i got from a educational point of view on depression and anxiety i'm nowhere near where i need to be but i know that depression comes from thinking about the past and anxiety comes from thinking about the future right yeah. so if we can be in the present moment then Absolutely. not that that will solve all the problems but it's just you know just getting through each day yeah. as a start and then start goal setting yeah. and planning and doing all the strategizing yeah. can, can definitely be help uh, improve those areas yeah. i want to go back into the the conversations some of the conversations that you've had not so much the conversation, but how did you prepare for these conversations? Was there a, a, a method that you used to have the, someone walks in the room and did you have a structure towards your conversation or was it just off the cuff and each individual was different? No, uh, we were very prepared. In fact, I, I, we, I've now been able to develop those resources and hone them and uh, tweak them to make them something that people, other people can use. You have to be prepared. I think if you go into a conversation without preparation, one, you're going to say the wrong thing, no doubt. Um, so when you say prepared, is it research on each individual that you're speaking to, like their home life and everything um, like that or and, and their background? or I, I, I don't want to say that we you know, had a, a documentary or a dictionary mm. or a, what's the right term, a, a file on everyone and yep. their personal life because that's that's not appropriate either. But we did do some homework, you know, mm. simple things, for example. We had we knew in some circumstances that Mary had a partner who was working at another plant, mm. right? Just having that knowledge allowed us to treat a redundancy differently. Mm. And we did actually do that. So we actually built a process where um, because we cared about both parties going, okay, unfortunately this person's being made redundant. Let's actually have a conversation at the same time with their partner 
And then as soon as the conversation's finished, we mirrored them up, we got them some counselling support, we offered a joint couple support mm. as well as an individual support. Yes. Yeah, um, Instead again, of sending we, him home and then them thinking when they're going to get the chat. That's, yeah. Well, we could have sent the guy that's made redundant home because he was not coping and leave this person working. Mm. And what does that do? Guess what? They're going to be on the phone. Yeah. And then you're not being humane because you didn't treat me with respect. You didn't treat them with respect. And now you've upset them and their workmates because everyone talks. Let's mm. be real. Absolutely. So I don't want to say we had a file for everyone, but it was understanding our people well enough to be able to handle their personal circumstances. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's not even about an individual approach. It's let's do the humane things. Like we developed walk plans for every individual. Walk plan. Yeah, think As about in- it, right? Have you, You've probably heard of the walk of shame. You're made redundant. You walk past your teammates yeah. with your bag of things and then it's shameful. Mm. You, you, like it, it actually impacts people in their mind, in their Some people emotions. are more scared of that than losing the job itself. Absolutely. Because we all have a level of pride. and So don't do the walk of shame. So we actually, if I knew I was going to make Joe Bloggs redundant, where does he work? What is the nearest and safest exit, of course? Um, and develop a, literally a plan. We had a map and mapped out where we would walk them to avoid as many people as we could, the least amount of people. Mm. And in some cases, it literally meant we would walk them out an exit door right next to them put them in a car and drive them to that location because we didn't want them to have a walk of shame. Yeah. Like, again, so there's this preparation and planning piece. And, yes, did it cost more time, effort and money? Absolutely. But it was minimal compared to the impact it had to our workforce. So you walked people out that day. You said you were redundant and walked them out. No, no. It wasn't quite like that. I mean, we, we, as I said before, we gave four years' notice. Yeah. Uh, a number of people um, knew their date and time. Yeah, okay. However, um, there was one particular group that we were doing a voluntary system and we couldn't get enough volunteers. We had a fairly sharp reduction. And, again, we had communicated this over months and time. Yeah, okay. So there was one particular moment where we did have to do a force or component. Yeah. Um, now, that didn't mean people had to finish on the day, but at a minimum <laughs> they were going to go home that day. Yeah. Because you can't necessarily give people when news and expect yeah, them to work. When they're crying. and yeah. yeah. Now, most people took the option and said, you know what, I am actually, I'd love to finish today. We welcome that. Mm. Um, so, again, it was trying to be respectful for every possible scenario. So jumping back into those conversations, is there a methodology that you followed from a conversational <laughs> point of view? Like, you yes. know, you got, you know, behaviour impact, all these sort of things. Is there one that you followed? Yes. Uh, again, we we've sort of developed that and honed right. it and okay. tweaked it. That's so part of your consultant. That's part of part of our our product actually, yeah, okay. and, and what we do. But there has to be a methodology, mm. and it includes how are you training your leaders. So there's a training component for your leaders as well, mm. because um, not only do we want to step out the process and think about people mm. and give them scripts so they know what to say, how to say. It, have they got the room ready? Little things are there tissues and, you know, is the EAP support available and, and and you know, what's, what conversation they're having in transition. Um, we had a flag system on the door so we had a coloured system so we knew what conversation we're having at what time. And um, But going back to the leader training, how do we train them so they know how to handle people's emotions, mm. right? Because... In a change or transition curve, everyone's going to respond differently. You will have some that will cry in the room. You'll have some that yeah. will get angry. 
some well, yeah, go to shock. You go in with the right intent and yeah. then someone says something and your ego kicks in and all of a sudden. Absolutely. I've had someone try and throw a chair at me, <laughs> right? And that was because I was telling him he wasn't being made redundant. <laughs> so, that's a, there you go. So <laughs> you don't know how people are going to handle that situation. Yeah. So the training piece for our leaders were crucial. Mm. How do you handle someone that's displaying these emotions? And anger is a hard one. Not everyone's going to get up and get aggressive. Anger can show in different forms. Mm. So how do you train your leaders in the signs? If you're seeing those signs, what do you do? And, and, and how do you step people through that process despite the emotion that they're in? So there has to be a process that yeah. steps out. It's a long, that. ongoing process, especially when you're working with leaders at all different levels and walks of life. And Absolutely. Different bases. Yeah, that's a, that's a big program. Yeah. So it's a crazy, it is a crazy world. Yep. I like, uh, you and I have spoken offline many times and um, you've seen some strange things in your time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what, what, with your, with your sort of large background in this world, can you tell us some of the crazier things that you've seen? Wow. I don't know where to start because there's so many I could choose. <laughs> um, I, I have seen... Maybe I'll use the term sex, drugs, and rock and roll because yeah. I reckon I've seen everything in that and more, yeah, right? The, we've, we've, the rock star life. Yeah. I mean, I have had to, in the industrial relations space, deal with people who are having sex on site. I've had to deal with people who are either dealing, uh, doing, <laughs> or another thing with drugs, like, yeah, well. right? Um I've had situations where we had a group of people who had made a makeshift bed in the ceiling and they were taking turns sleeping, right? <laughs> what, while they're on the job? While they're on the job. Yeah. All right. I, so there's been lots of industrial relations matters that yeah, we've had no. to deal with through my career. Um, so <laughs> we've had, we had a particular gentleman who was, we found out, getting protection money off his team, right? So yeah. he was making people pay him a certain amount every week to keep them safe from him. From him? Yeah. So, again. So give me money or I'll beat the living. Pretty, pretty much. Um, and no one would come forward. So we had to go through a very long process of coming up with a plan to protect our people because people were only willing, I only got one or two people willing to make a statement if I could guarantee their safety. Yeah, wow. Right. Then when you go through a termination process and I've given them my word I would not release their information, what, makes it very hard in when, commission. But when does, does police get involved in stuff like that? or it, Potentially, yes. Yeah. Depends on the circumstance, yeah. but yes, they were involved. Um, but we we also didn't wait too long for the police because we had to make terminate a, this guy. Make a call straight away. Yeah. So we so, – Yes, police were involved, but it yeah. was a, it was a tricky situation. So, you know, the smiling assassin, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, have you ever, you know, we've all seen the Antonio, a bit of Antonio Banderas about you, mate. The, the, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I'm taking that as a positive. I think he, he's a good looking right. man. Okay, good. He's a um, the <laughs> the. Um, Everyone, no one really likes an assassin and, you, you know, you might have a, a, a target on your chest. Have you ever felt in danger from, from some of the conversations and positions you've been in? Yeah, I have. Um, again, 
I've always taken the view that if I do the approach well uh, with that, I don't want to use this term, but velvet, velvet sledgehammer yeah, approach, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to alleviate a lot of those issues. The, there's only a couple of times, maybe more than a couple, but there's only a couple of times where I felt that this could go really bad. Um, that gentleman I just mentioned about the protection money was one of them. Mm. Um, and he made some threats and police were involved and uh, that was one moment where I was a little nervous. Mm. Um, but Because I was just still, thinking someone like that would almost follow you home one night. And, yeah, like, there, were, it, there were definite threats like yeah. that. Um, I knew there was a lot of bluffing and because the police were involved there was some I guess, a sense of security that mm. I had that it wasn't going to happen that mm. way. Um, but I'm not going to hide the fact, you know, when you deal with a tough matter like that, um, because we had, and I'll go back a step, because we had stepped out the process and put certain things in place to protect us, myself and the people, I was comfortable that we had done a good process. Yeah. Um, so it's about being smart. So, yes, you've got to be delicate. Yes, you've got to do it in the right way, but you still need to put protections in place. Yeah, absolutely. But do you ever feel like, you know, you've got two young children? Uh, four. Four. Four children. Four kids, yeah. Four kids. Do you ever feel like I'm really not cut out for this shit? I'm not <laughs> cut out for this danger potentially coming home to my family if, you know, say yeah, that, say that yeah. one took a turn for the worst. Um, if I'm honestly... I can't say this happens every day. It doesn't. Yeah, well, you're right. We're talking about, as I said, in Extreme my 20 example. odd year career, maybe two or three times. Mm. And the only one I truly felt like it could flow on further was this that one there. particular okay. example. Um, I've had people make threats and so forth, but a lot of it's in the heat of the moment. You know that they're not going to do anything. Once they calm down. Um, and again, because we put certain measures in place, mm. it's fine. So I can't say. It's it's been one where I've gone home watching who's driving me behind me yeah. every night. Not at all. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I've if I look back at the closure example at Holden, I mean, we had some tough decisions. We had to obviously close a, a whole industry. In fact, not mm. just Holden. I've had some of our more difficult employees who have come up and hugged me in shopping centres because of the support that we gave them. Yeah, that's great. So. Again, if we take the right approach with the people focus, it actually will surprise you. People generally don't go that way. Um, they'll actually res respect you for it. Yeah, most people just want to be cared about. That's right. You, so you closed down Holden's, right? Yep. Walking out on that last day, what did that feel like? Um. It's interesting because we were really conscious we didn't want it to be awake. Yeah, right. This yeah. is not a funeral. This is not a death. So part of the transition program we had built, and that's why four years was actually for us the right time frame, um, we were all about building that pride with our workforce. Mm. We were all about saying that they were important and we cared for them. And when we finished, it was a celebration. It was truly a celebration. Mm. And we had this amazing morning with the last car coming off and we, we celebrated with food and drinks and celebration and then we took everyone to the Adelaide Oval and uh, we, had, we surprised them with Jimmy Barnes and Jimmy oh. Barnes did a little mini concert for our workforce and we had a ball. 
You'd be spewing if you got a redundancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> no, so I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, no, I, but, before that date. That yeah, you didn't yeah. <laughs> Probably true. But um, <laughs> for me, for me, it was those little things that made a difference. Yeah. And so it was this really odd feeling that we were all happy and, you know, in a really good space on our final day. Was it sad? Absolutely. Was it feel like that you're closing a door and – you don't know always what door is about to open up. Um, absolutely. But, you know, again, I've spoken to a lot of our people through this journey and they said, you know what, yeah, it was sad, but thank you for celebrating us. Mm. Um, and we had national media attention. And in fact, not just national. I mean, I've had people around the world comment about what we did mm. and how we supported them. And people recognise that support. So it wasn't a wake. It was a celebration. Um was it sad? Yes. Do our, some of us miss our Holden family because it was like a family? Yes. Um, but because of the opportunities, people are ecstatic going, you know what? I, again, I, I'm on a, another transition program at the moment and one of our ex-Holden guys is now going through a similar process with this company and he's going, Jamie, this has been an incredible journey. I'm so thankful today of what Holden did for my life, right? Yes, I, I miss it, but... I've got all these opportunities I never would have had without Holden. Mm. And that's just four years on and he's still glow, you know, glowing about how we took yeah, care of him. Great. When you walked out last time mm-hmm. and last day of the job, no longer getting paid, it's all closed up. Yep. Where were you in your head then? What was your next thought? What were you planning on doing next? Or did you already... Yeah, so began that process again because we had taken a very strategic and deliberate approach to build transition plans for everyone. Mm-hmm. So there wouldn't be too many, if anyone, within the whole world who hadn't already got some idea of their future because mm-hmm. we had been banging that drum for four years, yeah. going, "What's your plan? How can we help you? What's your plan? How can yeah. we help you?" So for me, I already had a transition plan. Um, did I know exactly how it was going to pan out? No, I'd always decided to uh, get into the consulting world and start my own business. And so that's where Get Good. That's Get Good Consulting, yes. Started. That's how that started. Um, and I did that for a reason. This is what not everyone's aware of. Um, I, I really wanted to give back. Uh, so I, in the community space, so I actually took on a job two days a week with my church right. um, and supported them for a period of time. Um, and that's why I ended up wanting to consult because I really wanted to do that two days a week and, mm. and getting a full-time HR, senior HR jobs really hard. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'll go and consult for a while and I loved it and I'm still here. And it took off. <laughs> so in amongst all that, you, um, um, you and I have spoken about and it's on my bucket list. Okay. Kokoda. The Kokoda Trail. So you was that straight after Holden's that you went and decided to do that or? No, it was actually before Holden. Okay. Um, oh, there before you go. I joined Holden. Oh, easy. All right. Either way, yeah. What were some of the learnings? And tell us about that experience because it's yeah. one that I know many Australians want to do. Yeah. Uh, it's an incredible experience. Uh, look, the Kokoda Trail was significant in my life for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, I mean, let's go to what it's all about. To to go to Papua New Guinea and walk that trail where our Anzacs, our diggers, you know, 
walked that trail with weapons, with all their provisions, and fought off the the Japanese in the war. Mm. It made me respect our military. It made me respect our veterans a lot more. Um, until you, I walked that trail, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew war's not good, and I knew what our soldiers go through. But to walk that trail, and I had high tech. I had a super lightweight bag mm. and a sleeping bag, and I carried my gear. Proper like, shoes. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I had good gear, and it was 17 kilo, mm. right, mm. everything I was carrying. Their gun weighed 17 kilo. Yeah. So it just completely changed the way I viewed our, our amazing military people. Um, that's the first thing. Secondly, it taught me a lot about myself. Um, it was honestly five or six of the hardest days of my life. Mm. You know, a lot of people. Because you normally do it in 10, don't yeah, you? Yeah, 10's the norm. We did it super quick. We were doing 12 Was there hour a reason days. why you wanted to do that? <laughs> yeah. Bravado? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it was, we were actually walking with some people we knew there. Okay. And they were actually walking from Moresby to Popendetta. They were walking home. <laughs> So this is a daily walk for them. Not a daily walk, definitely not. But yeah. they they wanted to get home, so they were willing to walk 10, 12 hour days yeah, okay. because for them it was going home and they wanted to see their families and everything else. Yeah. We walked with them, which meant we were doing the same. Mm. And what I learned about myself in the Kokoda trial is my ability to push through things. And I think in hindsight, I think I got a bit of mental toughness from that experience that I've now taken on into the Holden journey, into everything else. Mm. There's one particular area, uh, I think it's in the Maguli Ranges, uh, and it's the the mount of seven false peaks, might be nine false peaks. Yeah. And what happens is it's hard. It's thick mud. You're carrying a backpack. I was already sick as well. I had <laughs> got a, food, uh, a stomach you issue. Yeah. And I'm walking up. Talking to myself, literally talking to myself, going, I can't do this. I hate this. I don't want to be here. My, I'm in pain. My legs are in so much pain. Uh, I'm feeling sick and I just need to deal with that, <laughs> what that means. Mm. Um, I'm weak because I'm sick. Mm. And I, I realised how actually mentally tough I was and how I could push through because what happens is you get to a point, you see a peak and you're going, I'm there, this is awesome, mm. I'm going to have a break at the top of this peak and then you get to that peak and it goes up again. Yeah, another two hours. And up. it happens <laughs> seven times. Yeah, that's horrible. So this mental toughness that you need to have through that journey, it, it, it really, again, it felt like a month that day mm. <laughs> and it just felt like constant pain but I really learnt to push through things and and you know talk about being positive and, and 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 reaffirming hey you can do this you've got this so i ended up changing my mindset halfway through that journey going i can't telling me tell myself i can't do this because mm. it's actually making this a really horrible journey so i actually started enjoying the journey i started going i can do this wow that's actually a really nice tree look at that view mm. so i changed my perspective so when what have I learned from that? When I was going through the Holden journey, I learned to look, stop, respect this time that you're in. Um, and, you know, I, I can still learn from that today, mm. but I think having a positive outlook is going, you know what, I can do this. Yes, I hurt right now, but one more step and I'm going to be at that peak. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's, 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 uh, it, you're right, it is a matter of perspective and the, the positive affirmations that you tell yourself and, 
There's a there's a book, and I think I've quoted it on this on this podcast before. It's called A Road Less Traveled yeah, by right. Scott Peck, and the, literally the first three lines of the of the book say, um, "Life is hard," and the quicker that we realize that life is hard, the easier life becomes, right? Absolutely. And it, and so it, to me, that's just a matter of changing perspective. Absolutely. We go into life assuming. Why does always this happen to me? Why does, you know, why, 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 why? Instead of, look, actually there was other, there was something that I, I heard and it was instead of saying I've got to do this, you change the word got to get. Yeah. I get to do this, yeah. right? And it completely just transforms the, the way you think about things. So everything's an opportunity. Everything should, shouldn't be taken for granted. It's an opportunity to learn and grow. So. Well, I've got an upper hand because my last name is Get Good. Yeah, Get Good. That's right. <laughs> well, this is the, I, I often uh, um, I chuckle about that because you're going into businesses <laughs> and it's about getting them from good to great. So uh, <laughs> you're telling them to get good. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, some of the businesses I've been in need to have a lower base to go from. So. No, very good. That sounds like an amazing journey. It's definitely on my bucket list. Yeah, it's good. I'm trying to find people to go with. but I, I would no do it again, but I would like to do 10 days and enjoy it more. Yeah. It, yeah, I, yeah if you're out there, you want to. You don't want to kill yourself. You want to no. at least do the six to eight hour days yeah. instead of the 12 hour days. It's a beautiful experience. It's beautiful. Like you, you're going, there's waterfalls, there's rivers, mm. there's jungle. It's, it's an incredible experience. I love that. So tell us a little bit about Get Good Consulting and, and the People Shift as well. You've uh, opened the People Shift. Yes. So, um, uh, so Get Good Consulting, we're a general HR consultancy business. Um, we probably focus on three main areas. The the obvious, which I've built a reputation across the country, and in fact, I, I was able to speak in that in Europe last year or the year before because of COVID. Yeah. Um, is all around that employee transition, that redundancy experience. So we do a lot of our work is actually helping companies do this well. And the People Shift brand, which I'll sort of bring in now, um, was actually the brainchild of my partner. And it was actually her baby. She created yeah. it. Um, but what we've done is we've taken the learnings of how to do redundancy well from the 20 odd years we've got, we've co authored with a couple of other people, you know, Sally Renshaw, who was yep. one of my guys at Holden, and, yep. and Sybil's experiences. And we've, so, Sybil's your partner? Yes, Sybil's my partner. Yep. Yep. Um, and we've created a redundancy program that steps you through everything you need to do, but it give, we give you tools, we give you templates, we give you all the things you need to do a redundancy, but it's got a people focus. Mm. So, um, it steps you through how to do it. So you don't actually have to create a brand new process. And and it's funny because I've been in some big organisations that have a process, but every time they go to redundancy, they're going, oh, where's that document again? Yeah. Where's this? And, and then they start again. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we have a platform now, for to be honest, for a couple of thousand bucks that you can get everything you need to do a redundancy. And it's, it's like an online platform. Online platform. So. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so that's that's the people shift and that's what that does. But the people shift is also about helping people come on that people-focused journey. Um, it just so happens the redundancy tool is the first tool. Mm. We're going to build other tools. Um, but then if I go back to Google Consulting, employee transition, we help people and companies with 
difficult transition programs and we help them take a people-focused approach in that uh, in that area. The, the second part of Google Consulting is uh, all around helping companies improve their engagement and their culture um, and, and often I'll come in and consult and give you ideas and tips and methods about how to do that. Um, and then the third part is we do have a leadership development type uh, approach. So we do run some courses. Um, I do a lot of coaching. I, I coach. In particular, I've got a few senior HR people now that uh, I am a bit of a mentor, so it depends on the approach that they want. Yeah. In some cases, yeah. I'm an ear. In other cases, I'm going through their strategic plan and giving them guidance around how they could do that. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there is this mentoring, coaching, you know, leisure development piece. Yeah, good work. We do, like, as you know, we do yeah. very similar work. So, And it's very rewarding when working with leaders especially. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I think I think you can... Leaders actually have a fairly big role um, to play in the culture of the organisation and, and I think sometimes we forget that we're a leader and we think we're a manager and it's, we, we treat it, everything like a project and, you know, if we just step back, you know, look at the, the clarify the role that you play and, and the aspects of your role and how much is leadership and how much is management, if you actually sit back and do that exercise you'll realise that your leadership side actually makes a bigger difference than the management side. Mm. Absolutely. Well, people are, are – we're all adults, right? So people are, are quite capable of keeping themselves accountable, accountable from a delivery perspective. It's our job as leaders to remove the bollards that are yeah, in their way, right? so true. So true. You would have seen in your time some very good – examples of humanity yeah and some very poor examples have you ever lost your faith in humanity by some of the things that you've seen i i, I can't say i've ever lost my faith in humanity because for every bad example i've seen 10 good examples yeah okay so um i truly believe that some people lead or are the way they are normally because of the experiences that they've had themselves mm. um and that's not just in leadership. You know, I've seen, and I'll be slightly controversial, I mean, I had a, a union shop steward who I was talking to at Holden who came up to me one day and said, Jamie, I want to apologise, I've been a prat. Mm. He said, the re reason I got into the union is because I was mistreated by my supervisor. I This happened and that happened. And because of that, I decided to make life hell for everyone. <laughs> and... You've now stopped. You've listened to me. You've you've actually taken seriously all the challenges that I've had. And whilst I haven't always liked the direction it's gone, I understand why you do what you do. Yeah. And it made me realise that leaders are the same. That some of the poor leaders. I mean, I had one particular senior leader in my early days of Holden who called me every possible swear word under the sun mm. because I simply asked about how we were leading. <laughs> but if I look back at how he was grown through his career, that's how he was taught. Yeah. So it's, it's been really about bringing people on that journey and helping them understand the leadership and what it means to, to everyone around them, not just themselves. You're 100% right. What do you believe the future of leadership looks like post in this post-pandemic world? Like, there's a few struggling ones out there at the moment. Yeah, look, I think you're right. 
the pandemic has heightened a couple of things. You know, I, I don't want to go into some sort of theory around the fourth industrial revolution or anything like that, mm. but the reality is the world is going to change and COVID has escalated some mm -hmm. of that. You know, virtual working and remote working is something that's obviously changed the way we work. And whilst I think there's some real positives in that, flexibility can have positives, I think there's also a challenge for us as leaders that we don't lose that human element. And I think that's one of the risks that we face, that we can go too far the other way and let everyone work at home. And don't get me wrong, I'm a supporter. Mm. <laughs> don't miss people misinterpreting me. Mm -hmm. But there has to be this human connection. Mm. You don't build relationships purely on a phone. Or a screen, yeah. Now, there are you can do things that will help that, and mm. this is where I think leadership needs to evolve. Right? We need to, and I've started doing this, teaching people about digital body language, mm. right? How people respond on the end of a screen. What does that emoji actually mean? Mm. Um, what, are the, what are the language we're using in our emails mean, right? Yep. So you could put in an email, good job. Now, if that's all you put, the person reading it might go, is he being sarcastic? Yeah. Or is it's, he being serious? Yeah, you can't you can't uh, assess tone over. Correct. I mean, we know that you know nonverbal cues, body language, and facial expressions makes up forty you know over four times the impact than the words you actually say. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's funny you even say that. I had someone the other day say to me, just by someone not having their Zoom camera on, they took offence to it. Yeah, it's as if they don't want they don't want to see me or look at me or speak yeah. to me. Yeah, and. You know, I think it's we can a, sometimes be too sensitive. Oh, yeah, no, space, but that's what but I'm saying. Right. Yeah, 100%. But everyone's coming from their own base, right? So Absolutely. And but, got their own perceptions. But at the same time, I tend to agree that we need that personal interaction. And if all you can do is a Zoom call and see someone's face, then that's, for me, still important. Mm. I still think that even in this flexible world, as leaders, we need to build avenues, opportunities, scenarios where there is still connection. So I'm not saying you can't have virtual remote workforce. I'm saying you need to build in that face-to-face -face interaction somehow. Yeah, I agree. And there's this human element that I think in this fourth industrial revolution that we want to call it, um, as AI enhances, as the, the internet of things changes, as blockchain becomes more valuable, those people and human skills are going to be more and more important. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that the HR world has an opportunity here to help people on this journey because we've only seen the start of it with the pandemic. Mm. Um, if you read some of the research on the internet of things and, and, and all these changes that are coming, it's going to get more challenging mm -hmm. and more challenging. So we have to have those core human skills or relational skills. That's going to be what gets us success in the future. Absolutely. Of of course, there's going to be things like digital literacy and other yeah, areas, adaptability, but, all this other stuff. But, but you're right; it's how do we actually get the people to move forward with this? Absolutely, and that's why companies like yours and mine are important. Mm. Um, and and I think if if you're not listening to a company like this, you actually need to because the human element is crucial. Yeah, agreed. And we're here to help. And provide and Absolutely. support. We're not here to tell. No, of course. Yeah, I agree. Righto, so we're uh, we're well past the hour mark. It's fine, not a problem at all. Um, 
we will uh, we'll start wrapping up. I have yep. some quick fire questions okay, that I like, it. and these ne- these never turn quick fire; they go longer. Because <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll some do my of best. Uh, are very very philosophical, so uh, <laughs> we can we can deep dive. But we're very big readers here. Yeah, at Synergy IQ and creating Synergy. What are you reading right now? Um, oh, I'm going to forget the name of the book. Patrick Lencioni. Yeah, oh, um, good old. Patrick. I think it's called. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the title. I want to say advantage or the motive, not the motive. Is no, it the motive? no. The five advi- the five dysfunctions of a team. The, the, no. no, I want to say advantage, but I could be wrong. Could be wrong. So that's the current one. Um, but the one that I always turn back to. Great. Well, that was going to be my next question. What's one which, which would be multiplies by Liz Wiseman? Okay, great book. Yeah. Uh, it really What's is about premise? how, as a leader, we can multiply. Uh, the potential of our people oh, yeah. by treating them like people, in essence. Yeah, uh, perfect. So, great book. Any other podcasts that you listen to? Apart from this one? No, oh, this one <laughs> has to be on everyone's, subscribe now, <laughs> has to be on everyone's lips. But uh, what's one that you would listen to? Uh, so, it's interesting actually. So, Because you are starting your own too. I, I am starting my own. Um, there's a couple out there. So, not so much HR related. There's a guy called Ronald Miller. Okay. Yeah, it's more marketing related, but okay. he has a really good view on people. Um, so it's a mix between marketing, but yep. also with a people type lens. Um, there's a guy called Craig Groeschel who does one. Yeah, uh, he's based in the states. Uh, again, that's more a Christian focused leadership. But yep. to be honest, he, he doesn't talk about Christian leadership. He talks about leadership. Yeah, he's got some amazing uh, uh, traits that he yeah. brings through. Yeah, there's some. They're probably the, the two I'm, that come to mind. Yeah, nice. Who do you admire or look up to? Current or yesteryear? <laughs> Whoever. Whoever. What's something? What, who, what is someone that's inspired you? Um, it's not an easy answer for me. And, and, there's a, and this may get a little philosophical and deep, but I think I admire jesus in the sense that yep. i really respond to the way uh and whether people were believing him or not and everything else um the way he led was very much a servant leadership he was firm he could handle conflict uh but he was always fair and had a lot of wisdom um and he really showed people how yeah. to lead their life um in a more modern day era um there's a number of people i've got i mean I've got, again, a couple of my mentors like Jerry Quirk and mm-hmm. Ashley Winnetta too that stand to mind. But if I was to look in the public arena, um, whilst I don't always follow everything he does, some of the clips I've seen of Simon Sinek and some of those sort of voices, yeah. I, I love the fact that he's challenging that thought process on people leadership. Yeah, and, is. you know, again, you can have different views on some of his topics, but we need people like him who have a voice, who can challenge the way we lead. Uh, you can talk about um, Brené Brown and her work and, and you know, Dare to Lead and, and, and things like that. And I know you guys do a bit of that yeah. as well. Um, some of that work is incredible. So there's lots of people I look at and admire, but um, it's hard to pin it to one person. Yeah, it is. It's a, a very open-ended question. Yeah. What's some of the best advice that you've received? the best advice I've received. Look, I, I think 
I think it's purely around, and I'm not going to get the, the, the phrase right because uh, I can't remember exactly how it was put to me, but it was, it was really highlighting that there will always be a better path tomorrow. And maybe that's not how it was said, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll go down that path. That um, we live, we are a speck in this timeline of what we know on this earth. Yep. And every moment that we make, every decision that we make, every step that we take not only has an impact on our timeline but other people's timelines. And I think if as an individual we take every step trying to make a difference in someone's life and other people's life, I think we are actually going to have a fulfilled life ourselves. Mm. So, you know, as bad as the past may have been, forget the past, accept that the negativity has empowered you to be the person that you are and then use the position and influence that you have today to make a difference in someone else's life. Perfect. I love it. If you had access to a time machine, Yeah, one trip. Yep. So up and back. Where would you go? Forward in time or back in time? I wouldn't go forward because I think we create our future every single day and every moment. Um, look, I've made some mistakes in my personal life and in work life. Um, I, I think if I could go back in time and, and not do some of my personal mistakes um, and maybe, you know, yeah, it's a tough question, actually. It is a tough one because I'm going to challenge you on that. You said I've got no regrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not. I, I think, you know, if I went back in time, even through my Holden journey and somewhere right in the middle of the closure program, I would do a couple of things. I would have probably spent more time with my kids because mm. uh, that has had a flow-on effect from a personal situation. Um, I would probably have taken care of myself more. And whilst part of me is saying, no, leave that alone because it's made you who you are, um, and now it's given me an ability to help others because I've been through it. So part of me is going, I don't know if I want to change that because the scars give me credibility and vulnerability to help others. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's probably my kids, to be honest. I, I, I probably through that whole journey gave my heart, soul and time purely to the people at Holden and don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for it because I've made a difference. Um, but it did impact my family. Mm. If you had one superhero power, what would it be? Um, this is actually a question we ask on our podcast too, oh, so it? I've actually there got an go. answer to this one. Excellent. Right. Um, for me, it would be the ability to truly understand people's I was going to say personal circumstances that's not the right word I want to say but um, understand what makes them tick what motivates them what what allows them to be the best they can be so if I had like a a personal radar where mm. I could go okay you actually would like that and that's going to give you the maximum potential and I'm not even talking about getting business results the maximum potential to be you mm. Because I know if you can be you, you're going to be better at work. Mm. So having almost like have a, like their blueprints. You yeah, can see their blueprints. Absolutely, that personal. You know, maybe it's like, like X-ray eyes. Yeah, but you can see what inspires them, motivates them, drives yeah. them. 
Is that a matter of influence though? Could that turn, could it work the other way? You could. <laughs> um, I'd like to think I have all my powers are for good and not evil. Yeah, yeah. There is a book actually called <laughs> The 48 Laws of Power by, okay. by Robert Greene and it's earmarked as one of the most evil books. They, they call it one of the more evil books because it literally tells you 48 different ways that uh, you, can, you can use it for manipulation. Well, wow. yeah, but but he he's, uh, his aspect on it is, well, I've written this so you understand how people can use it against you. Yeah. Right, so it's always a, there's That's always it. a spin on That's the way. Right. There's always a kryptonite for someone. <laughs> Brilliant, and being a father of four, you've surely got a good dad joke in the back pocket. <laughs> I'm just trying to think: is it appropriate? Yeah, because uh, the one that popped in my head was. <laughs> we're all adults here, so just. <laughs> um, what was it? It was something like, uh, "Why was the beach embarrassed?" Why? Because the seaweed. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> that was, I don't know. That's the first no, time that popped in my head. It's supposed to be bad. It's not a dad <laughs> joke if it's funny, right? <laughs> no, brilliant. Thank you very much, Jamie. It has been an absolute pleasure no having you on the show. We went we went deep in some, some yeah. parts, which was great. And yeah. I feel like those who have listened, they would have actually really learn a lot about you yeah, and even cool. some of your approaches and the way you go about it. So it's very enlightening to know there's someone out there like you who has this human human mm. approach. Thank you. Yeah, which is why big part of the reason why we wanted to get you on. Yeah, thank you. Where can people find you? Look, easiest place is probably at getgood.com.au. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm heavily on LinkedIn um, mm -hmm. and most people would know that. So LinkedIn is probably the easiest and best way. Yep. Um, and you're happy for people to absolutely. reach out? Absolutely. I welcome it. Beautiful. Thanks for your time today, no Jamie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, guys. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page, where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.